Welcome to The Rock Fight, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. The modern workplace is a topic that is a 2023 discourse mainstay. With COVID ripping the veil off of something that those of us who worked remotely had known for a long time, that in the internet age, you can kind of get work done from just about anywhere. If you want to write about something that immediately gets eyeballs on it, talk about work from home, return to office, or the ins and outs of posting up at the local coffee house to work for hours on end without getting kicked out. The workplace, something that was once so vanilla and relatable for so long, so much so that they made us watch multiple seasons of The Office after Steve Carell left the show, is now a hot-button topic. For employees of outdoor brands, The Office, the workplace has traditionally been something more. There's an inherent cool factor that's expected and required when visiting the office of an outdoor brand. You expect weird architecture, on-site pump tracks, inspired imagery, and displays of iconic and legacy products. Visitors leaving your office and feeling like they want to quit wherever they're currently working to take any job at your brand is a requirement. And the cool factor also trickles down to staff experiences. It's not enough to bring in a cake for all of the April birthdays or have awkward drinks at the local pub on a Friday afternoon. Come on now, this is an outdoor brand. We're going to have a full company offsite at the local campground so we can all sleep in tents and go hiking in the morning. It's cool, the CEO is making pancakes. Between where everyone works and the persistence of FOMO-induced corporate events, the bullshit level in the workplace is achieving all-time highs. To dig into this, I turn to Lisa Slagle. Lisa is the owner and founder of Wheelie, a creative agency out of Crested Butte who has worked with brands like Machines for Freedom, The North Face, Ten Barrel Brewing, and Rocky Mountain Bicycles. Lisa has experienced both trying to cultivate the ultimate mountain town office space and then establishing a remote work model. And Lisa has opinions on the modern workplace culture. Five big ones, in fact. So let's get into it. I'm Colin True. This is The Rock Fight. And today, I'm picking a fight with the modern workplace. Okay, we are here to talk about workplace culture with Lisa Slagle from Wheelie. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Colin. I kind of want to start here. The the office, I say in my talk, I open a bit about workplace culture, kind of specifically as it applies to outdoor brands and things. But in general, the office is kind of an odd duck. Um, it can be an amazing, creative, and productive place where different people are united towards a goal, but can it can also be an absolute shit show. Um, but when you let's just go backwards, when you started Wheelie and you were sort of envisioning the workplace, what Wheelie was going to look like, what was in your head? <laughs> um, <laughs> being, mostly just being able to snowboard a lot. So that so it's a creative agency. Wheelie is a creative agency. And um, right. like many agency owners, I started it because I had a skill. Right. I was a successful freelancer and I got busier and busier and busier. And then I started giving people jobs. And then I was like oh shit, these people need career paths and an employee handbook and HR and all those things. So it was kind of like pedaling backwards. Yeah. Um, but when I was in the, my most hardcore like workplace design planning stage, I just kind of wanted to create a space that was conducive to creativity and very welcoming and casual um, and had like different zones. You know, the physical space had different zones for like quiet things, collaborative thinking, you know, so it was kind of based on action rather than um like creating a culture necessarily but uh -huh. we ended up with a really hardcore office culture um and you know it was in downtown whitefish montana for 10 years and was like one of the coolest funnest places in the whole valley so it was you know it was, it was a competitive place to want to work too 
Was that an alluring thing though? Like going from like, was it always kind of like, oh man, if I ever have an office space, like I'm going to make it like this. And then, and did, 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 did that vision come to pass or did it not kind of just happen organically? Like as you were, you know, planning it and actually, and, and actually doing it. <laughs> the early days of Wheelie were like, we had kitchen tables and it's a mountain town. So it's like wherever you can find commercial space, you just go for it. So it was a bunch of people crammed in a one tiny room. And then we were working on like a kitchen table that we found at a thrift store. And then, you know, our designer would be like, stop bumping the table. And it was like, you know, and then I was like, okay, it's time to upgrade. And then we'd go rent a bigger space and rent a bigger space. And then at one point we were in like a dilapidated house from 1927 and the sewer backed up and, you know, like, so it was just kind of like, that sounds lovely. (laughs) Yeah. And then eventually I bought a little office building and got to really build that thing out. But um, yeah, those first 10 years were rowdy but you the vision came to pass though you think you kind of got to the place where you were like this is what i've always wanted did that happen did you have that moment i did have a moment where i was like cool like it was a lot of women working at the company it was um super welcoming place for anyone um and and that was really nice and it was set up in a really diplomatic way there wasn't like where like oh you production workers you hang out here and everyone else hang out here like (laughs) you know so it was it was like very nice and it was um it it represented kind of my thoughts on business in general i think and did the uh did the snowboarding element come to pass oh yeah like oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and and uh being in ski towns is always really um nice especially for video production like when we are in the mountains it's so much easier to go get the shot was there a before and after moment where like you started having the nagging feelings of like what was all kind of fun and vision and like this is exciting now it's starting to become almost a hindrance like was there was there was it like a light was it a slow kind of decline into that part of it or was it sort of a this is taking up way too much of my time what are we doing kind of moment mm. well there was a year where i hired like super fancy business coaches and they this is where i got the most like out of alignment with myself but um you know, they told me the way to do it as an agency to work with Mm -hmm. bigger bigger brands was to put an office in a big city. So I had a second office in downtown Denver. And that office was actually bigger than our Montana headquarters. And I would drive back and forth like a Connie every, every other week, you know, and I was driving 15 hours in my little Ford Ranger. And, uh, it was, you know, in the Denver office had a super different workplace culture than the Montana office. And I didn't know enough about managing people at that time. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, to manage two teams with two different cultures and two different employment laws per state. And it was, so that was tough. Um, and yeah, I did like the global or the national reach that was happening, but it was, uh, pretty, pretty intense. To How many employees did you get to almost at the peak? 15. That's a lot of people. I mean, I, my wife owns her own business and she's got a similar path. She, she, uh, her, her company treats children with autism and she started as, you know, going to school for that and, and practicing that and then kind of realizing there was an opportunity to start her own business. And now most of her day is not about treating children. Right? It's about running the business. And I, this is almost like a zag, I think, and probably today's probably uh business discourse, but I think there's, there's often maybe not enough or a lot of love for business owners out there. You know, like it's like there, it is, these are for-profit enterprises and you have to kind of also respect the bottom line, even if, you know, you want to do all the fun employee stuff as well. 
Did employees bring the expectation that a lot should be given regardless of cost or effort? Like, was that a tough thing to kind of balance out like, as you were kind of, as you were growing and to your point, like as you were learning how to be a boss effectively? Yes. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. <laughs> she said with massive exasperation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and like, why, why would, why would they, why would they know what I'm going through or why would they need to know? Like, right. Um, so to no fault, you know, to right. no fault of theirs, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely, especially, um, I don't know. There were a lot of sides of the same coin. Like I'm yeah. incredibly, inc I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who's ever worked at or contributed to Wheelie. Um, you know, hiring younger people required a little bit more um, training and mentorship and leadership and then hiring really experienced people. Sometimes they were like far older than me um, or right. like, you know, so there was just a lot of dynamics happening, a lot of personality traits happening. And then just obviously, like when you're a business owner, like all your own shit comes to the surface and your employees are just a mirror for everything you need to work on internally. So like at the end of the day, it's not really um, on them. It's kind of all on me. It's always on you. I mean, you're the one, it's yeah. ultimately yours, right? And, and I'm not asking that as sort of like any sort of gotcha questions or anything. Like it's just, I think it's a it's a, it's a gap. I feel like in a lot of businesses of like, just be, especially if you're hiring young folks, my wife's company is the same thing. There's a lot of young folks who come on as therapists to, to administer this therapy and everything. And, and if you don't teach them or tell them what it's all about, especially you know, the two fields are kind of almost similar, like between create, if you're a creative where you're not thinking about what a PNL is or, you know, like, what do you, what do you need to, what, what's, what's EBITDA, you know, like why mm -hmm. would you even be seeking out what that, inf that information is? And it's that, mm -hmm. that's just another hurdle. I feel like in terms of like growth that as a small business owner, no one hands you the handbook to say, Hey, you're going to run into things where people are asking for a lot and you're not going to have the money to do it. <laughs> but, and here's how you explain to them why they should adjust their expectations. Like that's not, you know, it's never that black or white. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And like, I, I you know, as a small business, like I couldn't be held to the same standards as a giant VF right. corp or something, you know, like we were closed Fridays. I ran a business four days a week and, uh, I thought that was good. You know, ski passes were included. I matched IRAs, like all of those things. Um, however, like, no, we're not buying lunch for everyone every day. And like, <laughs> no, there's not going to be like a napping zone and like just kind of these like bigger asks, um, we're like, wow, they must have like a lot of fluff in their budgets to be able to like have that. Um, right. And so I think it also is a disservice to the clients to a point to have like outrageous employee benefits that don't really contribute to like a better uh, workplace culture. Because actually at the end of the day, like studies prove that what people like more, what is like longer lasting and um, deeply satisfying is contributing, mm -hmm. not necessarily like having a pool table and a ping pong table. It's right. like making a difference in the world. So I think we nailed that, but yeah, I mean, we were so a small business. Isn't that funny? Cause isn't that, don't you think it's kind of obvious? I mean, I, I understand that. I've worked at some of the places too, where there's a lot of, there's a lot of fluff and this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you should enjoy working here because you get all these interesting things. It's like, well, mostly I, I'm getting paid to do a job. I think I just like to find satisfaction in that job. Can we start with that? And then on top of that, like a ski pass is, is that sweet, you know, but it's like, ultimately I'd come here if you weren't giving me the ski pass, you know what I mean? Isn't that kind of what we should be driving towards? Exactly. And I think like, you know, if someone's getting paid, I'll just use easy math. Like if someone's getting paid $50,000, it costs the employer like 90,000 to right. have that employee, you know? And so 
not that that should really matter to the employee because that's like you signed up for like, Hey, you're going to work here for X amount of money. Like this is the contract. This is what you're signed up for. But just kind of having that information that like it actually costs pretty much twice as much. You know, what was it ultimately that led you packing in the central office for wheelie? What was the kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Ultimately like through COVID when we all worked from home, mm-hmm. um, we made better systems. And then I had this huge realization that like, the, so the culture, the workplace culture, my my clients were paying a premium for, for that. And I built a really good team around, um, I always use the example of like the Monday morning meeting was an hour where every single person at the company would come to a Monday morning meeting. And that was coming out of all client budgets to mm-hmm. house that, right? And so like the clients were paying a premium for like, it's really dumb, but McDonald's Monday was super popular. And like all these like little things that everybody did. Um, so it was about being like a really great place to work. And then when we eliminated the office, the office, like the culture became about the creative work itself and making interesting work and being interested in the work that we were making um, together and and not about like, oh, cool, I'm at work bonding with my friends. It was more like, wow, look at this thing I'm actually like building because that that was all there was to do was stare at your screen and like really get interested and invested in what you're doing. So I, I liked that shift. And then I was also able to bring like budgets down for clients or do mm-hmm. more with their budgets because instead of paying for, you know, obscene amounts of coffee <laughs> or like- um, <laughs> Or two office you know, spaces. Two office spaces, like all these things, right? Like we were- um, able to run projects at a, at a lower rate. Was that a, a great moment when you kind of had these realizations of like how, how good, it, you know, applying the learnings of the past couple of years or the past 10 years, I should say, but, or was it kind of almost sad too? Like, cause you had kind of worked to build these kind of interesting kind of cultural hubs in these places. Was it kind of, or was it both? Was it bittersweet? Mm, it was, there was a lot of tension because like the, in like internally, like me as a human woman, I was like, this is awesome. Um, I love this. Like, I'm never going back to the office. Fuck yeah. No one's going to find me. <laughs> like, they don't know where I am. Like, I have my life back. Um, you know, so I, I personally loved it. But then also, like, egoically, I had spent so much time building a certain thing and, like, caring about the outcome and becoming this type of person and this type of boss and this type of creative director. And so it was, like, very um, hard to, like, detach from that and just right. kind of lean into, like, okay, I'm loving this. So it's been a couple of years. How's what's the outcome been? Has it just been kind of sky's the limit? Like what's going on now? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing was like putting the business online. I moved, I personally moved back to Colorado. Most of my staff, all of my staff at that time was in Montana, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left and then I made like really big decisions for myself and that obviously impacted my crew at the time. So um, they didn't sign up to work from home. Like when they originally signed the contract to work at the company, they signed right. up to work, work in a building, you know? So we had a little bit of turnover and then that was really, really hard to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. And most people stay at Wheelie for five to six years. And so anyway, like, yeah, so, but now at this point, it's awesome. I live in Crested Butte um, and then my staff is all over the place. And it's also a hybrid staff of independent contractors and W2 employees. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm loving that. 
So for outdoor brands or even say outdoor influence businesses, I mean, you work primarily within the outdoor community, right? So the passion of going outside, and this was the first thing you said was you wanted to go snowboarding, right? So is a is a key component. Um, I just did a podcast with Kenji Aratunian about outdoor retailer. And we're talking about there's this sort of, well, in outdoor trade shows, but, you know, the high school reunion element of those of trade shows and things in the outdoor space, it sounds kind of trivial, but it's actually not because it's kind of, you know, we're a passionate industry. This is these are these are a lot of careers based off of personal passions. Right. So the ability to get together and recreate together, not just a requirement, but something that everybody wants to do. Otherwise, why are you working in the outdoor space? So how have you overcome the social let's go play outside aspect without without a central hub? I mean, I think I'm delighted that a lot of these central hubs have had to change and been forced to change and allowed new demographics and new people into the industry. Um, and it's not just the same people at outdoor retailer uh, that look a certain way and, and have always looked that way in the outdoor industry. Like now it's definitely more, um, there's just more space and more ways to do things. And I also love like micro events and more like curated events that are more strategic. Mm -hmm. um, rather than like the huge like yeah it is like a high school reunion um and but how have you guys solved for that like how have you solved for the make sure you, you your crew still gets together even if you're all kind of spread out now we shoot video so we meet on location um to go shoot commercials or you know like we're we have a lot of time together and then also um obviously zoom meetings and just yeah getting together it's more like the hollywood model where you like all meet you make something and you leave <laughs> right. you know like you meet you make something and you leave right um it's also a lot like the book pema children wrote uh when things fall apart you know the whole point of that is like things come together and they fall apart and they can come together a new way and they fall apart right and so i kind of like the flexibility that it allows but yeah we we uh do a lot of production in person so um that's just all always super nice and um that's going awesome one of the reasons why we're talking about this topic is we were talking about what we could chat about on this podcast. And you threw out the idea of your top five things about modern workplace culture that are bullshit. And I, number one, is love that. I didn't, I don't care what you say. That's just a great title. Um, so do you want to go through it from number one to five? You want to count down from five to one? What do you, how do you want to approach it? Okay. So I think, I think let's go five, let's go start at five and go to one. Okay. Um, but also so just framing it around like, I run a creative company, so I'm in the business of imagination and um, I can speak to that. Thank God I don't have like inventory and product and like those things, but I can talk through the lens of like, I live in an imaginary world. Okay. Well, I could be a good counterbalance because I spent my whole career in like sales and marketing at brands who make stuff. And when I read your list, I feel like, except for maybe one, all of them like, yep. I could, I could find, if you sent me this list and told me to fill in the blanks off of these titles, I absolutely could write, could write countless examples. So I, I feel like, I feel like it's going to be applicable to a wider audience. And maybe you're giving yourself credit for. Cool. Cool. All right. What's number five? Number five is the typical, the typical organizational structure. Okay. Um, which is, you know, where it's like CEO is at the top and then the lines go down to, you know, upper management, middle management, production, interns, um, that typical classic org structure. What's your issue with that? What what is it? What 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 do you prefer? Is it just more like the freedom to kind of figure it out or is there a, a better way to do it? I have like a I have an org structure that I really like. It looks more like rings on a tree where the actual least experienced person is the most insulated at the center of the tree. Um 
And then there are rings that go out from that. And so you're kind of in a little circular ring with your homies instead of um, being in these like strange verticals. It's a little bit more circular um, in, in terms of like, okay, cool. If a designer needs help, they can find an art director or they could find you know, someone with more experience than them on the next triggering up and just grab them and be like, Hey, look at this. What do you think of this? Um, and so it allows for more mentorship and more flexibility and just like well-roundedness, um, that like an art director, if they had a question, they could grab a CEO or a CFO. It wouldn't really matter. They could get new perspective and help become better themselves. So it just allows for a little bit more mentor mentorship and a little bit more like, I know holistic is a trendy word, but like a little bit more of like a holistic perspective. No, that makes a lot of sense because it, it's a flow more than a, a structure, right? It's kind of like if I if I'm that that low person on the t totem pole, whatever the, uh, the the person in the middle of your rings that you're describing that maybe needs more help because they're they're greener than the rest of the folks on the on the uh, in the on the chart. If I a traditional chart, I'm at the bottom and I'm looking three four positions up. I'm like, well, I could never talk to that person, mm -hmm. right? Like clearly, I am not worthy to look look uphill and t talk to them. But if I feel like, okay, here's how I'm supported on the chart, that's a much better way exactly. of kind of looking at it. And I'm probably going to grow better as an employee and to your point earlier, enjoy working here even longer. Exactly. And they're more insulated, right? So like the people on the outside are actually the ones dealing with like the impact of the world right. on the tree, right? There's bark around them. And the person on the <laughs> inside is like, you know, they're like protected and coddled a little bit. And like, they're just focusing on like what they're good at, getting all the nutrients and growing. Cool. All right. Number four. The way to do something. So um, I'm a creative director. So I have a tendency to sort of like Miley Cyrus my way into things where I just come in like a wrecking ball. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily want to do something the same way twice. That's a personality flaw and strength at the same time. Um, but I have a really hard time with like, this is the way that we do it. This is the way that we always do it. Granted, like you need a process that works and you can pressure test your process. But I think that there needs to always be time to go back in and reevaluate. Is this process still serving us? Or is this like an outdated the way we do it? Because this is the way that we've always done it. And yeah. I think that that is really where we help brands the most, like outdoor brands, when they hire us as an agency to come in and help them like we do high-end campaigns. That's what we're best at. So we come in and just like ask them a shit ton of questions about their business, their product, what they're trying to do. And then kind of like, we don't, we, we don't know the way. And so right. we're able to help, help express their voice in a new way. I think the, that is one where, um, it does feel like that there's been some chinks in that armor over the years, even on a little bit more traditional, you know, businesses, because it's a, um, you see a lot of memes, right? If the if the if the answer to this question is because that's the way we do it, like that's terrible. Like this should not that should never be the answer to this question. Like, well, it's just the way we do it, right? And so, like having that as sort of one of your key principles, I think definitely makes a lot of sense. Although, it, you know, it's also catastrophic to like come in and change the process constantly. Um, that's unsettling for a lot of people, but it is nice to definitely really look at like what's our reality versus what used to exist. Uh, all right. So, what's number three? Number three is, so this is five, the top five things about modern workplace culture that are bullshit. And so I wrote employees who use the magic mouse or try to trick their bosses into thinking they're still working from home when they're not at their computers. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of like videos on how to do this on TikTok and like a whole culture of like younger people, like tricking their bosses. And I just think that that's 
um, such a disservice to anyone. Well, first of all, anyone on your team, yourself, your boss, like it's super disrespectful, obviously. Um, but I just think that that's like absolute entitlement to the max. Um, and like, if you are working in a place where you're trying to trick your boss into thinking you're working when you're not like, don't work there. Like go do something you care about. Like, what are you doing? Right. What are you just stop? Um, it's not cool. I've always been a proponent of we we celebrate when people find new opportunities. Like there's maybe a much of a bummer it is, or if someone that's well liked, or they're good at their job, or both, whatever it is. But it's like if people are looking for a job, they want to do something else, like go for it. Like, you know, this is your journey. Go figure it out. And also, I don't want you here if you're not happy. Like that wouldn't that doesn't help us at all. It doesn't help you at all. So why why would you want to just why would you want to take make the effort to like, all right, I'm gonna I'm going to make this, you know, Tom and Jerry plan like to kind of like or whatever, whatever cartoon reference you want to throw in there to like make sure my boss doesn't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to Ferris Bueller day off this shit and go out there and like make sure that no one knows where I am versus just, yeah, maybe I'll go work somewhere else. Exactly. And also just like the amount of privilege, like the lack of perspective, right? It's not like I used to work on an asphalt crew. I had to show up to that job in the weather, no matter what it was like, if it was raining, if it was snowing, it did not matter. You show up to the job, there's no location freedom. Like employees who are able to like work wherever they want, like, are you kidding? And like, I don't know. Anyway, I just think the lack of perspective is um, just really gnarly. I love that one. All right. Number two. Number two, I put the office in general. It's just not needed. Um, It's just really not needed. And again, like I don't have product or inventory to manage or a warehouse. Like I don't have anything that requires my team to physically sit in one space. But I just Mm -hmm. think like being able to allow people the lifestyles they want to let people workplaces that they want. And then to be able to pull in talent from all over the nation, like you're getting new perspectives, new voices, new, um, you know, experiences. And I think that that's making the outdoor industry more interesting. I think it's making creative work more interesting. And I think, um, it's really like a incredibly positive change. But I got to work at Polar Tech and I got to see a lot of different brands across the country and every once in a while, you'd roll into one and it's like, wow, you guys had a lot of money to burn building this place. You know, like just let's make it weird as shit, man. It's going to be this funky like space station entrance. And then we're going to have like the legacy products over the years and like you're walking through a museum. And and some of them definitely you walk in, you're like, oh, this would be a cool place to work. Like it definitely works. You know, there's a, there's an intent there. But, you know, to your point, I just we spent the past 20 minutes talking about, you know, what what else could you do with that money? What else could you spend your time doing? You know, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And I just think, um, again, it makes it more about like the work and the meaning and like that intrinsic value rather than the external validation of like showing up to a place to have a certain opinion about what it is that you do and why you work there. Well, this is why we want to have you on to talk about this topic. You've you've been through it. You've you've experienced yeah. all of these things. So, yeah. right, number one, you have the the caption "Hold me back" oh. next to it. So let's introduce what's the big number one on your top five things about modern workplace culture that are bullshit. Yeah, and this one's specific to my company. That's all right. My, this one's specific to my industry, but the agency RFP. Okay, take us through it. The request for proposal. This is horrific. Like. <laughs> It is, I think, I don't even, like, it is so rare that I respond to an RFP. Like, I just don't 
do it unless it's like really specific or really cool or the work's going to have some hyper cool impact in the world. Um, I don't even touch RFPs because they're just, they're ridiculous for many reasons. Um, and I would like to compare it to a restaurant because that's easier for people. So, um, I think the, the interesting, so basically what happens in an RFP is marketing departments reach out to agencies and they say, here's a rough outline of a creative brief. How would you do this? And what would it cost? And then they, and usually there's like 10 questions that you have to respond to that are like, tell us about your company. How many employees do you have? Um, we can come back to that. How, uh, you know, there's all these different questions. Um, yeah. And then they, you know, collect five RFPs, interview someone from the agency, which is then based upon not how good of work that person does, how well they speak and perform and do like this fucking song and dance. <laughs> um, it's truly an exercise of sales, right? Not right, actual right. impact or creative work. And then, um, and then these marketing teams line up the RFPs and they try to compare them as if they're comparing apples to apples when they're comparing, um, you know, oranges to cucumbers, to bananas to bread. You know what I mean? Like all these <laughs> companies are bringing their own thing to the table. And so it actually completely ignores like the special sauce of everyone's creative to mm -hmm. try to make it apples to apples. And then they grade them. And it's also like, okay, so going back to the restaurant, my brother is a chef. He's an amazing chef. Mm -hmm. Um, when he eats food, he notices things in it that I will never, ever notice. Right. So if I was to go into a restaurant and I'm like, cook me a meal, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm going to go to five restaurants and I'm going to eat the meals and I'm going to pay for the one I like the most. And then I sat there and was like, well, that one was like, not as good because it was like saltier, but it was like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, don't totally. know. I don't know the nuance of all these things. And I'm just like trying to sound like, and that one had like a big kitchen. So it had like 10 people in that kitchen. And this one was made by one guy. So I'm going to have to go with the one with 10 people because I don't know why, but that's why, you know, and it's just kind of bull. It's bullshit. Is, are, are, is it still a main thing? Like a main driver in the creative world? The RFP, like you yes. get regularly. That is actually shocking. And not that I've really thought about this, but now that I do think about it, it's like, I get it if you're back in like, madman advertising days and all you have is the phone and driving to someone's office to see what they're all about and it's like a long drawn out process but right now i can go to wheelie's website and get an immediate vibe right it's like oh okay that's what they're all about let me go to this other creative agency with, oh i see what they're all about which one do you think is going to align with what we're looking or they both might be let me let me have a phone call like hey here's what we're thinking about you can do all that in minutes right why would you go through just I'm just thinking of like logistically, like why would you, why does it even make sense to have an RFP process? It's just going to take longer to get ultimately if I'm the client what I want. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it doesn't it doesn't serve the clients either. Right. Because like at Wheelie, we have an amazing creative process that we walk our mm -hmm. clients through. We don't just give that out for free. Right. I've been I've been building that creative process for 14 years. Like right. it doesn't go into the RFP and like <laughs> right, it's right. not it's not free. And then yeah. also like when they're like, hey, what's the creative? You know, a lot of my friends that own agencies are like, hey, if you want us to respond to this RFP, we can do sections one and two for free. But, we, you know, it's going to cost you five to ten grand to get creative thinking. Right just for us to respond to section four, you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And like, just, which I think is like 
a nice eye-opening thing for people who send our and again people who send RFPs like they've been tasked by their boss go get RFPs so it's not, again I'm not like calling anyone out but um, it is just such a broken system and it's ridiculous it, like the whole thing with creative work is trust I think there's some alignment between number one and number four it sounds like the RFP is a bit of the way to do something well exactly <laughs> exactly all right, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really, really fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Colin. This was fun. And thanks for uh, putting up with me trying to find microphones. <laughs> no worries. Anytime. Cool. All right, that's our show for the day. Big thanks to my guest, Lisa Slagle, and to all the companies and brands out there who routinely put out RFPs as a regular operational process. Knock it off! Do you have thoughts or opinions on modern workplace culture? We want to hear from you. Send your comments to myrockfight at gmail.com. We'll be back tomorrow with our weekly hot take. Thanks for listening. I'm Colin True. The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight, LLC.